What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share our exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, story of soccer's legends. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. All narrated by Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's Always Cheating Podcast. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more, each episode will focus on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and check out Golden Goal, story of soccer legends, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, today's podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. We're going to be joined here in a minute by Matt Moore of the Action Network. Really excited to have him on. You guys all know who he is if you followed the NBA at all over the last five years. You're probably already following him on Twitter at HPBasketball. And we're going to be talking a lot about how to evaluate NBA playoff contenders going into the Orlando bubble. We're going to be talking some about the Orlando bubble and about how his level of excitement kind of tapered off over this past week uh, going into the bubble. And we're going to be talking about the Rockets, more importantly, and how they figure into the playoff picture this season, how he views them as a contender, and I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Blue Liar. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. We are back with Matt Moore of the Action Network. First of all, thank you so much for coming on. I know interview requests are starting to ramp up for someone like you with the restart season coming around the corner. Hey, happy to do it. Always enjoy coming on. Yeah, so first, I wanted to talk about the NBA's bubble in Orlando because I know you have conflicting thoughts on this. Up until this week, I'll be honest, I wasn't really starving too much to watch basketball again because there was more important things going on and it made all the sense to the world to suspend the season. But now I'm starting to get excited about it. And I feel a little guilty because I'm worried about the safety and well-being of these players in the bubble. And I know the bubble is located in a hot spot in Orlando. So my question to you is, what are your thoughts on the restart? And is it wrong to be excited about the season while still being nervous about the whole situation? So first off, I don't think you need to feel bad about it. I think that... We need to be forgiving of each other. And as far as handling this pandemic, we need to understand that everybody's under a lot of stress, that everybody is worried, everybody's afraid. Not everybody, certainly. There are those of us that choose to believe it's a hoax or it's not that big of a deal or are living in some sort of fantasy land or, you know, are the president. But most of us are concerned right. and taking this seriously. And so it's okay. To, to seek out things that are going to make us feel good or make us feel normal or make us feel happy, to find those things in life uh, that it, we can contain multitudes. And that's been my thing about the restart is that, look, I, I have taken the position that I am not for or against the restart. The players were presented with a set of a – with a, a basically a program 
of op- of what what the NBA was looking at in terms of a format of games uh, and where they wanted to hold it and how they wanted to hold it and a protocol. And the players collectively decided when looking at the options presented by the NBA and the financial ramifications for their lives as well, honestly, like this wasn't why they were doing it for themselves, but there are financial ramifications that go beyond just the players. If the players do not, if this does not happen, if there's no resumption of play, the impacts are going to be incredible. There, we're talking about job losses in the thousands across the industry. And furthermore, the owners would immediately lock out the players if they had not signed on for this. They would have negotiated a new CBA. The players would be looking at more money lost then. And if the players took a stand, it would have meant a lockout. And that means you're potentially losing all of next season. Everyone's like, why can't we just wait? Well, okay, you can go four months without basketball. All right, that's fine. I respect that. Can you go 18 months without basketball? And not even you, the people whose lives depend on this, all of the industries that depend on this. And the response to that is typically... But the owners are billionaires. They can just, they're not going to. Like, you can scream to the heavens as much as you want to that the owners should pay for everything. And I don't disagree. They won't. So, if we accept that, like, this is going to happen, like, the NBA is going to do this, then at some point we just have to deal with the reality of that. Now, I feel very comfortable having read the 108 page protocol that the NBA is doing everything it can to provide a safe environment for players, that they are doing everything possible for everybody from staff to coaches to players that they are going to be have the best chance possible of not contracting COVID-19. I don't know if it's going to be safer. One you know, slip up and yeah, there's going to be an outbreak and that's going to be all she wrote. Um, and those possibilities are very frightening. But one thing to keep in mind is people are still getting this. The players are still getting this even outside the bubble. It's happening because all of us are having to make choices about risk management because there's been such a terrible federal response that we are all having to make these choices and there are like our likelihood of getting it if we do anything is significant. Um, so I think for me, I have been like, well, the NBA is going to do this. They're going to do the best that they can and we'll just have to hope it goes well. I was feeling, I think, pretty confident in things. My concern has shifted this week Uh, to the situation in Florida. And while a high number of cases is in itself a problem, my bigger concern is with specifically hospitalizations. We're now looking at, in Florida, they finally released numbers. They have 100% ICU capacity across over 30 plus counties. Like it's insane how bad it is there. And their hospitalization rate is awful, including that in Orange County. And if that's the case, and you do have an outbreak in the bubble, and you have a severe situation where a player contracts it and, God forbid, gets serious, they may have to be transferred to a hospital, and that means taking up valuable resources that that area needs. If a Disney employee gets it while in the bubble from an asymptomatic player, even though those people will have very little interaction with each other, you're still talking about the possibility of that person needing care and not being able to get it because – Florida's hospitalization rate is so high. So like that's where I start to be concerned about whether or not we should be doing this. But the NBA, I'm sure, is factoring all of that into its consideration. And again, mo- all signs kind of indicate that they are going to do this no matter what because of the financial ramifications short and long term. Yeah, listen, it's scary. And what you mentioned about the financial ramifications for each individual person, I think it's pretty important because I don't think enough people understand how much 
how many people depend on the NBA for some significant portion of their revenue? Just a little bit. And like, if you just talk about the amount of people that work one NBA game, it's it's insane. Like, and you 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 magnify that by thirty teams, and it gets even bigger. Uh, it it's really important. It's really important for these play these people to get compensated for their work. Uh, and during their time off, it's it's gonna it's gonna be really important for the league to find a way to get these people paid and you're right some of these owners aren't just aren't going to do it and this is the best way to provide a band-aid solution to kind of wrap everything up before the 2021 season so um with that being said one of the main reasons i wanted to bring you on is because i'm a classic overthinker and i'm indecisive and i've been struggling to to evaluate teams going into the orlando bubble specifically the title contenders now let me explain for the most part, bearing significant injuries by the 60-game mark, you know what you need to know about an NBA team. And the data in recent years has shown us that we can find out that info even earlier, sometimes by the 25-game mark. Um, before the season stalled, we knew what we needed to know before the playoff picture and every title contender. We knew, we knew what we needed to know about most title contenders. But now all these title contenders have now had several months off and... They'll all have over two weeks of practice time and scrimmages in Orlando. And in my brain, that's basically an offseason plus tr- some sort of training camp and preseason. Traditionally, that means we have to reevaluate these teams for the upcoming season. And at the same time, we have all this data about them from the, before the stoppage. And that's pretty much a ni- there's pretty much a 90% overlap for most teams. So my question is, what do we do with all this data? And how do we evaluate teams, specifically contenders, differently now compared to when the season started? Like, should we view this as a new, a brand new season? So I'm of the opinion that the NBA season is essentially every team is going to go through three seasons on average in the course of an NBA season. An NBA season is six months long. Just the regular season is six months long. And so oftentimes teams will be one team for the first two months, a different team for the next two months, and then a different team in the final. Now, there are exceptions to this. I think uh, 2018 Houston, the elite teams tend to be one team from start to finish. The Bucks this year are the same team that they were at the start of the season. Um, so, you know, like there are exceptions, but I think there are different like evolutions that teams make as they've, and part of that is the process of finding themselves. What's going to be very difficult to ascertain with this is that I don't know who knows themselves. It's one of the reasons why I'm kind of clinging to certain precepts of, I think defense matters a lot here. So like the Lakers, I have a lot of confidence in. And the reason I have a lot of confidence in the Lakers, they're not vulnerable to their three point shooting. Uh, they don't take a lot of threes. They're 18th in the league in three-point attempts per 100 possessions. They don't make a lot of threes um, as a result. So they don't need sh- strong shooting to carry them. They are built on their star power. They're built on their defense. Uh, and they're built on their team chemistry, being able to to manage that. With Davis and LeBron, that certainly plays the biggest part in why their floor is so high. But it's also just their team identity. They're just not a team... Um, that's going to struggle to find its rhythm. They can play a bad game, and it's still pretty good. Um, the question, then, is about those teams that are more variance-oriented, which I would certainly put the Rockets into, and whether that benefits or hurts them. 
Honestly, I think that if you're in a position of strength, being a high variance team in this environment hurts you. And if you're an underdog, it helps you because it increases the, the range of your outcome, which is why I think Houston is well positioned here. Um, no one expects them to make the Western Conference finals. No one expects them to make the finals. What they really need is they need one hot shooting stretch, just one. They can get past the first round on their own, uh, no matter who they're facing. And then the second round, most likely versus the Lakers, but not definitely, uh, versus the Lakers or Clippers, all they really need is like a is like a substantial hot streak. And then they can make the Western Conference Finals. And from there, you know, I think that at that point, you're in an even more tense environment. And who knows what the attrition level will be like at that point. I think largely when we examine the bubble, we have to assume that we know certain things based off of the talent of the players, but the swings are going to be pretty wild in this because of the lack of crowd noise, because uh, of the differences in atmosphere, because we don't honestly know the engagement of all of the players on each team and how invested they are in this process versus just wanting to get the hell out of there. Um, there's so many factors that we're going to have to see things as they play out, predictions are as meaningless now as they've ever been. The NBA is a pretty stable product. This is probably the time when it is probably going to be most unstable given the environment they're playing in. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action on this week's big UFC fight or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has future odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all in word. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. So I'm glad you said that because I'm really struggling to make predictions here. And when it comes to like viewing each individual team, like for some reason I can't help myself. But I, when I when I evaluate a team, I'm my brain goes to what I thought about them preseason because it, again, like I'm, I'm my brain keeps thinking of this as an off season. I just look at their roster, and it, it makes it easier for me to think about the teams. And a, a team like the Lakers, for example, like I was really skeptical of the Lakers going into preseason and. Like when they when the season started, you know, my brain kept thinking, okay, well, they have a weak strength of schedule. I, I, eventually, this will even out. But then, as they played more and more games, that skepticism faded, and I started to buy into more of what they were on paper. Like they were really, really good defensively. They were really, really good um, at bringing things together as a unit. And I just thought, okay, this Lakers team is legit, and. Going into this Orlando bubble, like my preconceived notions of their roster, like like their supporting cast, I've always been really skeptical of. Like when you're auditioning for like guys like Darren Collison midseason, it 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 really affects the way I view you. And I I guess I keep my brain keeps thinking like it keeps going back to that place of preseason, and, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's wrong for me to do that, and especially when I'm evaluating the Rockets because this team made a major trade midseason and they've only played 18 games of microball and like they they were 12 and 6 in that time but again they've had four months out I don't know what like it's I I keep getting confused I guess it's my point here my 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 question here is is it wrong to kind of lean on the on your preconceived notions of a roster and should we just no no. okay so I I don't I think let's look at from the bookmakers perspective um I've talked to bookmakers and, and their big thing has been that 
they are operating off of the models where they were when when play was suspended on March 11th. They're not building new models um, because you can't like in the absence of new information. All you have is that prior information. Like that's all you really have. Like you can't build a new model. Like Ben Simmons could show up and suddenly be draining jumpers, but we don't have any reason to believe that, you know, like the Rockets could suddenly be an elite defensive team, but we don't really have any reason to believe that outside of like, you know, spurts and fits. Like, we typically, overall, we know the we know how these teams play, and moreover, we know what the coaches will want from them and reasonably expect from them. I think something to consider is how simple everything is likely to be. So teams that run very complex offenses are likely to struggle because you just don't have time to build that kind of continuity and rhythm again. Right, and you mentioned shooting variants in, in regards to the Rockets. So, like, what were your thoughts of the Rockets before the season ended? Like, did, did you think of them as? I mean, they were a six seed. So, did you did you consider them a title contender before all this halted? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I I think there was always kind of the the, the thought that if Houston can get it get together, they're as dangerous as anybody. I think specifically their ability to match up with the Lakers is interesting. Uh, they beat the Clippers twice, and that's big. They like they they clearly match up, I think, with the Clippers as well. But the Lakers, I think, are one team that actually has to be a little bit nervous about the Rockets because, again, the three point variance helps versus a team that doesn't shoot many. That that's a big advantage there. Just the math problem. Um, their inability to guard Harden, like they do not have a Harden guarder. They just they do not have one for as good as they are defense. They don't have that premier wing defender. LeBron cannot and will not do it uh, because he'll pick up too many fouls. And so, like, Harden has a real opportunity there. Russ getting downhill is obviously a really big issue. Um, They've got rim protection, but, you know, Russ can finish over just about anybody. And then you have the three-point variance on top of it. So, like, there are very specific matchups where I look at the Rockets and I go, yeah, they can absolutely get there. Now, I think title contender to me is a little bit too strong. And the reason I say that is – I think if Milwaukee gets there, I don't think Houston has any chance versus Milwaukee. But I think there's also a decent chance because of the same variance that could get Houston there that the Bucks could get knocked off by Boston or the Heat. And if that happens, then it's completely up in the air. Like if it's Raptors Rockets, which the NBA would absolutely just be defecating itself over, uh, then I'm I'm probably going to have the Rockets favored in that series. Like they should be favored to beat the Raptors. They should be favored to beat um the heat they should be i think the celtics is probably a pick them um but they have to go find a way to get there first but if you know the circumstances are crazy and anything can happen in this tournament i I, it's not just like a well anybody's got a chance so why not houston it's no like of the teams that could come out of nowhere houston is like the most likely candidate like we they're not even a dark horse because you can visualize how houston gets there it's just unlikely no, I'm with you there. Like, to, to me, like, again, it, it, you mentioned those two matchup against the Clippers. I'm not sure if I should put too much stock into that because, again, this was before they made the Clint Capella trade. And I I just, like, the Clippers are just so uniquely, like, roster makeup-wise, they're just so uniquely positioned to play micro ball as well, if not better than the Rockets. And that's always been my biggest quibble with the Rockets. Like, I, I'm just not sure how they get past this Clippers team. This Clippers team, I think, can match them on every single front. They have several hardened defenders. Uh, you mentioned the Lakers. I mean, yeah, it's going to be really tough for them, especially with this Avery Bradley injury. But, yeah, I mean, going back to the Clippers, like, I, I just, I don't know like how they can possibly beat a lineup uh, with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, 
and filling in whoever you want for those two those other two spots. I mean, they have Marcus Morris now, and it's it's just really tough for me to envision a series like that. Like, what is your confidence level of Houston going against the Clippers? I mean, you you put a lot of weight in those matchups. So I do. I think one thing is that the the Clippers rim protection in general is rough, and so you know they can't give the ball to Ivica Zubac and just be like, go get us a bucket, get, get big guy. And they are going to struggle versus the switch. I think pretty consistently it's the best, it's the best strategy versus that team. Like the switch all is the best strategy versus, um, versus the Clippers. Because if you try and, and, and hedge on the perimeter versus Paul George or Kawhi, they're so big and such good passers. They're going to find ways to get the ball to either the roll man or the corner. Conversely, like Harold can absolutely just beast in those switches, right? Like he'll just absolutely eat those alive. But defensively, then you're in trouble because then the Rockets are just going to keep running like Covington picks and Tucker picks. And they're just going to make, they're going to stretch Harold out and really exploit Lou Williams if he plays um, in those situations. Like it's great that they have all these guys that can guard Harden and can guard Russ theoretically. That's great. But at the same time, like the Rockets are so good offensively, they're going to find ways to score anyway. The Clippers defense has not been it's been great, but it hasn't been elite except for very specific matchups at specific times. And everyone points to those and goes like, oh, that's who they are. But they're not that's not who they are consistently. And they do have some holes and they're surprisingly not as strong of a three point shooting team as kind of their uh, the, what the I think the notion of them looks like they don't shoot that many threes so in that regard like Kawhi is going to get his and this is a lot of like what how the Rockets attack the Warriors and almost beat them was you switch and then Kawhi is going to be like well I'm just going to rise up and shoot mid-range jumpers in isolation and Kawhi is arguably the best at it in the game right now but you're taking that like if you're the Rockets you're like I'll take that every single day over you creating a high a high percentage open corner three for Landry Shamit. So I, they're good. They're a really good team. I've never, I haven't been sold on the Clippers as much this entire season. I'm watching a lot of film on them right now for a piece I'm working on. They're very good. There are specific ways you can still counter them and that you can still hurt them. Much of that honestly would come down to, they will likely put Patrick Beverly on Russ and just be like, we want you to attack him. The key there is Russ is going to have to play off ball. If Russ gets bullheaded and tries to play the on ball way that he has, he's going to pick up offensive fouls. He's going to get frustrated. He's going to get mad. He's going to get tilted. That ruined him in the Jazz series two years ago versus Ricky Rubio when he took that personally. It caused him problems last year when he took the matchup versus Damian Lillard personally. Russ has to get outside of his head and just play basketball. And if he plays off ball, he'll be able to beat Beverly off the bounce. Harden will get him the ball, and he'll finish over the help. But he's going to have to make adjustments to his game if he's going to win because going into the teeth of that defense, defense, he will turn the ball over or he'll pick up offensive fouls. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Patrick Beverly guarding Russ because for most of the season uh, against Houston, they, they put him on Harden. I wonder if they're planning to save that look for later on. I, I, God knows. I mean, I, I, I still look at the Clippers in that line of versatility, and for some reason I can't. Like the idea, the idealized version of the Clippers that you mentioned early on, like I can't get that that picture out of my head. I think... You look at the different the different lineups they can construct, and it's just it's it's just hard to not like them so much from a roster makeup standpoint. And, it, and that 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 tidbit you mentioned about their three point shooting is pretty surprising, considering the amount of like thirty eight plus percent 
three-point shooters they have on that team. Um, last question before we head out of here. There's been a lot of discussion about this, and it's, been, it's kind of been bugging me for the past two weeks, so I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, should the 2019-20 champions have an asterisk on it? Mm. No. So there's two ways of, of looking at this. I think universally it will have an, an asterisk in our head because we'll all remember it because we're experiencing a global pandemic. Um, but if we talk about the integrity of the game, Yes, the environment is is different, but you're still talking about the same basketball court. It's, it's the same dimensions. It's the same. The goal is still the same height. Um, the players are still play. They the the object of the game is still to put the bucket in the in the the ball in the hole. Yeah. Um, and at the end of it, it ultimately. If a player misses time for a positive diagnosis, which is, you know, not unlikely, I don't think to happen. I don't know if it's likely or unlikely at this point. We haven't seen how the the campus is going to go. But if a player, if a significant player misses time, uh, it will not be any different from a basketball integrity standpoint from an injury. It will be vastly different for that player for their life. It's much scarier. It's a bigger story. It's different. It feels different. But ultimately, players miss time. For health reasons, Kevin Durant did not play in last year's finals except for 45 seconds um, based off of an injury. Clay Thompson missed most of that series with an injury, and yet the Raptors have been – are rightfully called the champions. There's no asterisk on them. The Golden State Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers without Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving in 2015. There's no asterisk there. It will feel different. But ultimately, it is not. And for the fans of that team, you will still take a championship in a campus bubble with no fans, with no parade afterwards. You will still be thrilled and excited when your team wins the championship. It will not be as sweet as it would be under an, under different circumstances, but it will still be very sweet. Um, that team will still get to raise a banner they will still get rings that player those players will still get to always say i'm a championship player i won a championship in my time uh it is not perfect it is not ideal but i do not believe it is worthy of degrading or denoting that it was not the same as anybody else these teams all agreed to play they are going to compete Everyone gets to choose what level of interest they put into that, just like they do during the rest of the season and all the other playoffs. And ultimately, we'll have a champion one way or another. Yeah, I'm glad you 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 phrased it that way because COVID nineteen basically, it, for for all intents and purposes, does operate kind of like a freak injury. Like you roll your ankle. I mean, that you're out for two weeks. That it's wrong place, wrong time. It's a basketball injury, but it is effectively something you had no control over. And I kind of view it the same way. And it, I, I feel like more people should view it that, that way. And for the, the whole Asterix game, you, I feel like you can do that with every NBA champion if you really wanted to. Like if you really wanted to go through the annals of NBA history and put an Asterix on champions that you didn't feel worthy, you can do it on every... I mean, Tom Haberster wrote this great piece on this. And th- that that's kind of where I'm at. Like I just... 
I don't feel right when people try to cheapen championships, especially of a team like the Bucks, who have who were well on on their way to winning sixty plus games this year, and put in a lot of work throughout the regular season. And their their front office put together a fantastic roster that fit together really well. If they come out on top with the Larry O'Brien Trophy, who are we to tell them that it means less than? Any other team winning the Larry O'Brien, like it, it, it just it, any other season of them winning the Larry O'Brien Trophy, it, it it just to me that conversation's always bothered me, and I I just like a championship, a championship's a championship. Like they're still playing seven game series, as you mentioned. Like they're still doing everything you normally do in an NBA season. The only difference is there's no crowds, and and that does make a, a, a difference if they're if you're like a road team, having to play every every single playoff series on the road. You don't have to do that anymore. But at the same time, the still the structural integrity of, of the playoffs is still there, and that's why I tend to agree that whoever comes out of this season with the champion, I I, I have a great deal of respect for them. I, I think they deserve the same respect that any other team has won a championship should. Yeah, and I think you know ultimately we have to. Um, no one's choosing this. Like, no one's making the choice to play under these conditions. No one's like, you know what I want to do? <laughs> I want to win a championship when there's a global pandemic going on, when I'm away from my family, when everyone's worried about the, you know, when this huge and important social movement's going on. No one, no one wanted it to go this way. But I, I always say that you, the, the strength of schedule stuff, I, I'm always like, you play who's in front of you. That's all you can do. You play who's in front of you. And in this situation, you play who's in front of you where you play them. They didn't choose this. They didn't. This isn't on their turf. This isn't on their terms. They're not starting up by ten points. Like the game is the same. It's zero zero to start. You know, we're 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 playing forty eight minutes. That's how long basketball games are, right? I don't remember forty eight minutes. I think so. Uh, and we'll see who comes out on top. And and ultimately. These are the best athletes in the world, and they'll compete, and they will play for a chance at a title. They'll play for their money. They'll play for their families. They'll pay play for the movement. Uh, and everybody, just like we started off this conversation with, the players are doing the best that they can under weird circumstances. We're all doing the best that we can. Thank you so much for coming on, Matt. Uh, everybody here is already following you on Twitter, but in case they're not, where can we follow you, and where can we read all your work? Yeah, you can catch me at HP Basketball. Make sure to check out Action Network. Uh, follow, download our app. Even if you're not a big gambler, uh, it's the absolute best app for tracking games. We have the fastest API for keeping scores updated. I do not recommend any other app, and I would say that even if I didn't work for the company. It's the Action Network app wherever you get your applications. All right, I appreciate you doing this. Stay safe. I hope your family stays safe, and I'll talk to you later on down the road. Thanks for having me. For sure. All right, I want to thank Matt Moore for coming on to talk about the NBA's Orlando bubble and how the Rockets fit into that. Also, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher if you enjoy the show. Also, give us five stars on iTunes because it really helps other people find the show. All right, guys. Good night. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody up. Messi has got it! 
From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. <laughs> 